Strange Brew Podcast Season 1, Episode 127. In 2019, when the Packers were winning a lot of games that they probably didn't deserve to win and were on their way to 13-3 and in the two-seed, we excused a lot of those maybe should have been losses by playing this clip from The Fast and the Furious. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. Gospel according to Dom. It might be that way. That may be how we're feeling coming out of Carolina. They get the win. They keep the playoff hopes alive. The defense is an abject disaster and just continues to be at this point. It doesn't feel like any changes will be made, but they keep themselves alive. They're not dead yet, Aaron Rodgers. But the biggest thing to remember is we're not dead. 33-30 to 30 win over the Panthers. We'll break all of that down. A lot to like offensively, and Aaron Jones returning to full strength. Jordan Love, another fantastic day for him. We will talk about the defense and special teams as well. Two weeks left in the year, and basically a do-or-die on New Year's Eve in primetime against the Vikings on the road this Sunday night. We'll touch a little bit on the Bucks. Not a ton to go over. They lose the Christmas Day game. They win the Saturday game. They go 3-1 and one in a four-game season series against the Knicks. Of course, everybody's reacting to just the Christmas Day game and not the other three times the Bucks handled them this year. We'll break that down as they get set for a matchup in Brooklyn on Wednesday. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's hard! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin record-breaking run. Morgan a smash up the middle, base hit the center. Here comes Gomez around third. A throw and the Brewers win. Here's the snap. He looks. He throws it. And there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive gets inside. Leads in. Knocked away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul. And a pinnacle ball throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there. And they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Yeah, I hope everybody out there had a nice Christmas and time with family and friends and good food and good drink and a ton of Christmas cookies. I swear to you right now, my wife's mom makes a Christmas cookie that I've been in love with ever since I had it. It's a peanut butter cookie, and it's got a peanut butter cup, a Reese's peanut butter cup in the middle of it. And as soon as I bit into that first one, it was like the first time I heard the Beatles. It, just, it changed my life. And I've got a huge container of them. So basically last night, once we finally got back to our house, like a lot of people after driving around to a million places, I was just noshing on those. And I probably had about 8 to 10. And if you cut me right now, instead of blood, whatever that viscous peanut butter, it's not really peanut butter, but kind of that grainy Reese's peanut butter cup peanut butter. You know the kind I'm talking about. I think that would leak out of me. We also got a really cool gift from my brother-in-law, her brother, which I was playing after, well after she went to bed last night. But it is, I think they're called mods. I'm so far removed from the video game world now. And I actually thought, based on where I'm at in my age now and looking at Christmas presents and getting excited about video games at Christmas, I thought those years had well gone past. He got us some kind of, it's a Game Boy 
it looks like a Game Boy, like the old school Game Boys, maybe a little smaller and with a much better screen, obviously, than the Game Boys that we grew up with in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. I think they're called mods, and it's just preloaded. I don't know how they get away with this, but it is preloaded with a million games. Sega Genesis games, Super Nintendo games, regular Nintendo games, Sega Master System games, which I can't even believe that they tracked down games to put on there from that system. It has PlayStation 1 games. I was playing Tekken 3. I still got it. I still have it, everybody. I can still get past Tekken 3. The PlayStation 1 version, and you can just cycle through all these games. The original Resident Evil on PlayStation, Gran Turismo, Grand Theft Auto before it was the Hellscape game that it became, and it was just the overhead camera angle from Grand Theft Auto 1 and 2. It was a much tamer game back then. That version's on there. It's got all the classic Genesis Super Nintendo games. Outside of Mario, there must have been some licensing thing they were afraid of with Mario. It has The Lion King, which I argue is maybe the most difficult video game ever created. I don't trust anybody that's ever said that they've beaten The Lion King without a game genie. There's no chance. You just can't do it. You can't do it. You can't beat it. That and Contra. You cannot beat those games without cheat codes. So I did have kind of a throwback 12-year-old, 13-year-old Christmas night just eating Christmas cookies and playing on that thing. Anyway, hope everybody had a little bit of a downtime and maybe a bit of a break. We're off today. I'm off tomorrow, but get the podcast out there today for the Packer recap. And we'll have another one when I'm back in the office on Friday. I do want to play you just a clip of Packer nostalgia before we hop into this Panther breakdown. And we're not going to go on and on here. This is probably going to be about 30, 35 minutes. I know we've been in the 45 to 55 minute range sometimes. We're going to stick in the 30 to 35 today. Hey, by the way, we've got a bunch of new people downloading. If you can, if you have some downtime and you're listening to this today or Wednesday or Thursday or whenever, just give us a rating. It doesn't matter what rating. I don't care. One star, five star. It doesn't matter. It all feeds the algorithm. It all feeds the fire. It's all good anytime you get a rating. So if you haven't done that, please do if you can. If you can find it in your heart. This day in history, 30 years ago today, and I remember this game vividly like I do a lot of the games when I was a kid growing up. December 26th, 1993, a day that will be etched in Packer and Lambeau Field history forever. It was the day of the first ever Lambeau Leap. They had the Los Angeles Raiders at the time at Frigid Lambeau Field in late 1993. I'm pretty sure they needed to win this game to keep their playoff hopes alive. Very similar to where we're at 30 years later in 2023. They squashed the Raiders that day. I haven't looked it up. If you go to Pro Football Reference, I would be willing to bet a lot of money the game finale was 28 to nothing. These games, when I was a kid, they just stick in my brain. Where useful things could be, where things that I have long since forgotten from high school and college and books I've read or tried to read. That's Those are on the server in my brain. These early 90s Packer games, the final scores, the final stats. Why that's in there, I have no idea. I think it was 28 nothing. They dominated them that day, and I was watching. My cousins were in town, and we were all watching as a post-Christmas Day get-together. It was a 28 to nothing. I'm pretty sure, win. And late in that game, it was Raider Ball, and their quarterback, whoever it was, was sacked. Reggie White recovers the fumble. He starts rumbling to the other end toward the end zone. As he's getting wrapped up and about to fall out of bounds, and he was out of bounds, he had a full leg out of bounds. And you're going to hear on the radio clip, Max McGee, oh, good old Jim Owen and Max McGee. You're going to hear Max McGee say at the end of this, this is probably going to bring back instant replay because it is obvious to the naked eye, even on the standard def 4 by 3 aspect ratio, What are we watching now in 1080i or whatever it is, 4K? Whatever the opposite of that was, that's what we had. 
even with that definition, you could tell his left leg was almost fully out of bounds with the ball. So the play should have ended there. They allow it to continue. Lateral to Butler. He goes into the end zone. Here is the Packer Radio Network audio of that. Here's Evans back to throw on second down. They chase him out of the pocket. It's a screen. And he sets a screen up, and it's knocked down at the 38-yard line. A fumble. Tackle. Do the Packers have the ball? Apparently they do. And they're going to give it to the Packers. Butler goes to the touchdown. Is that a touchdown or not? Well, they don't know whether to call it. Nobody wants to call anything. Well, the officials are going to confer. Let's see what they're going to do here. I thought he was tackled. Did he fumble or did they get a touchdown? It is a touchdown for Leroy Butler. Holy cow on the fumble recovery. And the Packers go up 20 to nothing. Oh, what a play. I didn't even see it, Jim, but this may definitely bring back instant replay. <laughs> Isn't it fun to hear Jim Irwin and Max McGee again? Oh, God, I love that. Growing up with those two guys. I love when it's 620 WTMJ in Milwaukee during bye weeks. I don't know if they still do it. Or it's not them anymore. It's 97.3 in Milwaukee now. They changed the flagship. Back in the day during a bye week, they would always air one of the old Jim Irwin, Max McGee broadcasts. Love those two guys. Just hamming it up. Just a couple of dudes. It just felt like you were. It's like John Madden and Pat Summerall. Just a couple of your Favorite uncles, watching the game and having a beer, probably actually happening in the studio at that point, especially with Max McGee. And it just had that homey feel to it. Good to hear them back anytime you can play a classic clip of Jim Irwin and Max McGee. That was a part of the win that day. That also led to it being a Robert Brooks thing. Butler did it, but of course, on defense, he didn't have the opportunity to do it as much as Robert Brooks did. Robert Brooks made it his own, and then Robert Brooks gave us this gem, which I get to play. His rap single, Jump Into the Stands. Remember this, this gem? I'm gonna show him much love. Every time I score, I'm going to give me a hug from a Packer fan. The best in the land. I'm going to never stop jumping in the stands. Jumping in the What a world. You know that song is six minutes and 23 seconds long? (laughs) Six minutes and 23 seconds. Need a better editor out there for Robert Brooks. Cut that puppy down. Just tighten it. You got to tighten that up a little bit. Six minutes and 23 seconds. The free bird of Packer rap singles in 1994 or whatever that came out. There was a legitimate vinyl that came out with that. I don't know if there was a B-side or a second single on there, but Robert Brooks, jump into the stands. This day in history, 30 years ago, the first ever Lambo leap with Reggie White lateraling to Leroy Butler. Couple of Hall of Famers now. All right, let's talk about the Packer-Panther game. It looked like it was going to be a nice, easy win. They got up, what was it, 30-16, to 16, but Joe Barry's defense, it just, again, they just cannot get on the same page. They cannot contain. I will concede this, and maybe we'll jump more into the defense after we talk about the offensive exploits of Sunday. It did feel like, and all the post games seems to indicate, they did mix things up a little bit more defensively. They did try to mix things up, at least early. There was more pressure. There was more man defense. You had Jair Alexander back. We're going to talk about him in a little bit, too. There was a almost fiasco to begin the game when Jair Alexander, not elected a captain, decided to make himself a captain and go out there for the coin toss. You got him back. There was more man coverage. There was a little more blitzing. And they had it, it looked like, under control. And then slowly but surely, Joe Barry, maybe the German in him, just could not avoid doing the stuff that he's done all year. And he got back to soft zone when they got the two-touchdown lead. 
Again, probably thinking, all right, let's make them eat some clock. Let's make them go. If they're going to go on a drive, go on a six, seven, eight-minute drive. We've got a two-touchdown lead, and it just it just ate them up. Bryce Young found his accuracy. That was another part of the early element of this game where the defense didn't look so bad, but that was mainly because Bryce Young was missing wide-open targets. Panthers storm back into the game. They get it tied. Jordan Love takes the Packers on a drive to score points late to get ahead. And thank God they milked every single second they could on that final drive because literally every second counted. They got the field goal from Anders Carlson. And then with 19 seconds left, Panthers get the ball, no timeouts. They get 44 yards in two plays. And as they're about to spike the ball at the Packer 32 and get a look at for Pinheiro, even though he missed a couple of extra points, Get a look at a very makeable 46-47 yard field goal to send it into overtime. Luckily, the clock expired as Bryce Young was spiking it. And the Packers hang on for a 33-30 win. They go on the road. They get a win. It wasn't pretty. It looked like it was going to be when they had the two touchdown lead. Doesn't turn out that way. They keep their playoff hopes alive. Let's talk about Jordan Love. Another solid to above average game. Good game. 17 of 28. 219 yards. Two touchdowns, no picks, had a rushing touchdown, so he accounts for three touchdowns and no turnovers on the day. Quarterback rating of a little under 110, QBR of over 90. Keeps building on an excellent season as a first-year starter. A couple of throws that stood out to me. He did miss some throws. He's always going to miss throws, guys. Rodgers missed throws. Favre missed throws. They're always going to miss some throws. Two catches that really stood out to me. The touchdown pass to Romeo Dobbs. That was the exact same play they had the week prior against Tampa, except it was Jaden Reed, not Romeo Dobbs. And he had Jaden Reed wide open, did not set his feet airmail that that was on fourth and goal against Tampa. They go right back to it in a similar situation, and this time he connects. Not only do I love the confidence of Matt LaFleur to go back to that play call, even though he botched it the week before, you go back to it, and he executes. He made the adjustment. He took his time. He set his feet. He delivered a strike. Romeo Dobbs had the easy catch for a touchdown. The other throw that was my favorite throw, they had one to Dontavian Wicks in a third and long situation where he had to kind of throw it off of his back foot, and he sort of had to bend the bullet to get it in there. That was a nice one. I think my favorite throw outside of the Dobbs touchdown throw was the throw to Tucker Craft on that final drive. I know there was the, the deep ball Dobbs, too, on that drive where Dobbs had to hang on. I thought for sure. Didn't you think on replay that was a third down on that final drive? And if you don't get that and you're in a 30-30 game and you've got to kick it back to Carolina the way the Packer defense was playing at that point, there was no doubt the Panthers were winning that game, right? On third and four or five, they go deep ball on the near side and Dobbs was able to hang on. When they were replaying that, though, even though it looked like his hand was under it and maybe the play should have been over after his butt landed anyway, whatever, it all, all the semantics looked to me like it was going to be a catch, but you just got that feeling something bad's going to happen here because you never know with NFL officiating when they go to replay. Even sometimes the most obvious results of the replay never go that way. And if it wouldn't have gone their way in that instance, again, you have to punt the ball there, right? You're at your own 30 on a fourth and five. And if you give the Panthers the back ball, the ball back the way they were rolling against that Packer defense, that game's over. I mean, the Panthers are going to win the game. That was a nice one. But then later on that drive, he had a third and seven, pretty sure, a third and six, a third and seven, and he threads the needle. Just a bullet to Tucker Craft in between two defenders. It got in Craft's hands just as one defender was reaching over to knock it down. Give Craft credit, too, for reeling that in. Good hands. He turned it upfield, got some extra yards. Not only was that big just in terms of extending the drive, it's big because it milked the clock a little bit more. If you don't connect there, they were in field goal range. You have a longer field goal, 45, 46, 47 yarder, as opposed to whatever it was, the 33 or 35 yarder he hit. What was the final field goal? 36 yarder? 
So you have a longer field goal, but even if you make it, then the Panthers were going to get the ball back with probably about 45 to 50 seconds left. And as we saw, that would have been plenty of time to get Eddie Pinheiro a look at a game-tying field goal. That play was big for several reasons, but just the way he zipped that in there with authority, again, set his feet. The happy feet seem to be dissipating as the weeks go by. Throws that one in there in between two defenders, a strike that not only gets a first down, milks the clock, and makes it for a more makeable field goal toward the end of it. Just a lot to love about that. And a lot to love about Jordan Love's day. He is right now with two games left in the regular season. What are the overall stats? He's going to cost a lot. They're going to they're gonna extend him, obviously. He is the guy at this point. I do not understand how there are still Packer fans out there, and they are still out there. Some of them may be listening to this podcast right now that don't believe that Jordan Love is the guy going forward. I don't know why they want to die on that hill. I don't know what Jordan Love did to them or their family that makes them hate Jordan Love so much that even now with the obvious big plays and the stats that are trending towards him being a top 10 quarterback, not just being the franchise guy going forward, but being a current top 10 quarterback in the NFL, all the empirical evidence is there to say he's a good quarterback, above average to good quarterback at the very minimum. And still, some people just want to say he's not the guy. I don't understand dying on that hill at this point. He has thrown for 27 touchdowns on the year, over 3,500 yards, 11 picks. He has accounted for 30 touchdowns and 11 turnovers. I think he had one fumble in there, 12 turnovers on the year. 30 total touchdowns on the year, though. He's had a quarterback rating over 100 in eight games this season, including five of the last six. His numbers in their last seven games are extraordinary. 16 touchdowns, one pick. He's the guy. I don't know what the contract's going to look like. It's probably going to cost 40-ish million a year when they do the restructure. He is the guy, and that does check the biggest box of the year. We're going to talk about playoff chances in a second, and if they get in, that would be outstanding given how young the team is and Jordan Love in his first year and the injuries and all that kind of stuff and the Joe Barry defense, all of the obstacles, the Joe Barry defense in particular. If they make the playoffs, it would be tremendous, a tremendous success. We said from the first podcast before week one, Goal 1A and 1B of this year is to figure out if Jordan Love is the guy. You need a definitive answer at the end of the year as to whether or not Jordan Love is your franchise quarterback. And regardless of record, as long as you have an answer there, and even if the answer was no, that's fine. You needed a yes or a no, a firm yes or a firm no. You didn't want to be in purgatory here. You didn't want to be in the middle realm at the end of the year. As long as you know, yes or no, whether or not Love is the guy, this season will have been a success on some level, and now they know he is the guy, and he is going to get the contract extension. Another great game from him on Sunday. I mean, this team put up 33 points, missing three major weapons. They didn't have Christian Watson, Jaden Reed did not play, and they lost Ontavian Wicks early in the game, even though he had a touchdown. And he didn't come back. You're missing three big pass-catching weapons. And they still put up 33 points on a Panther defense that is not awful. That team is bad overall. The defense, though, was sixth best in the league in terms of yards given up per game. That defense has some talented players, especially in their front seven. I know you look at the record now, and they're 2-13, and and say, well, you scored 33 points against a 2-13 team. That's a little deceiving. That defense has some veterans. Their front seven will put pressure on you. We saw their linebacking core solid. He was able to pick the secondary apart a bit. Of all the things, though, with that Panther team, the defense is kind of the least of their concerns. Again, sixth best in the league in terms of yards given up per game, and you put up 33 points in that game, minus three major weapons offensively. Another big subplot of the day was Aaron Jones. Good Lord, did they miss him. I mean, you got to wonder... This offense now has gotten to a point. The low mark was the Viking game at home where they lost 24-10. That stretch of games, Raiders, Broncos, Vikings, with I think the Vikings being the low point. 
Think about, though, where they've come from that moment, where they are now pretty much by every measure an above average to good offense in the NFL. And you've got you've got Love now. He's top 10 in QBR. He's just outside the top 10 in quarterback rating. Top five, I want to say, in touchdown passes. He is in that range of some of the top quarterbacks in the league. Imagine where this offense would be if they would have had a healthy Aaron Jones the entire year. I know you can't count on that. I know that injuries have been a part of his career dialogue. Yesterday, he was on no pitch count, which we saw he was against Tampa. You saw no pitch count Aaron Jones for the first time since that Bear game in week one. And remember, they blew the doors off the Bears in week one, scored 38 points. Jones was the MVP of that game. He's on no pitch count. Finally, on Sunday, 21 carries, 127 yards, six yards a carry. First 100-yard rusher or 100-yard receiver for the Packers this year. Also chipped in a catch for eight yards, so he had 135 yards of total offense. With his burst and his vision and how much he changes the complexion of this offense when he is healthy and getting the ball 20-plus times a game, imagine what this team would look like if you would have had him fully healthy for even 70% of the year, not the full year, I know that's asking too much, but if he would have only been down for a couple of games and you have him to bridge that gap, if you have him in that Raiders game where you lost by what, two points? If you have him in the Bronco game where you lost by two points, the Viking game, I don't know if you would have won that game either way. You just wonder where we would be with this Packer offense. They're already trending towards being a top 12, top 10 offense on their own with their own development and with Love's development and the wide receiver tight end development, if you would have had Aaron Jones for the majority of the year, this is a top 10 offense, and it might be a top five offense with what he gives you if he is healthy. He was outstanding. You had just a whole bunch of wide receivers stepping up in the absence of Watson, in the absence of Reed. Wicks played part of that game. Outstanding touchdown catch. Two catches, 29 yards, and a touchdown before he left the game and did not return. Romeo Dobbs stepped up. Four catches, 79 yards, and a touchdown. He's just short of 700 yards. Eight touchdown catches on the year. Tucker Craft continued his development. He again, though, he again tried to leapfrog a defender. He got caught where you don't want to get caught against Tampa. Thanks a lot. He got caught there, and then he did it again against Carolina. Stay on the ground, Tucker, for the sake of your future children. Stay on the ground. He had four catches for 60 yards. I cannot wait to see Kraft and Musgrave work in tandem. At the beginning of the year, Musgrave was kind of the go-to guy and the, and the player of the tight end that most people were talking about, even though they were both drafted, what, second-round Musgrave, third-round Kraft. We didn't see a lot of Tucker Kraft in terms of pass catching early in the year. He was more of a blocker, more of a decoy. And now that Musgrave has been down with the kidney injury, Kraft has been able to step up, and he's the primary guy. Imagine those two guys working in tandem as pass-catching threats with this developing wide receiver core. Bo Melton, an undrafted guy wearing Donald Driver's number 80. Or no, he was drafted. Packers picked him up after he was released. He was a seventh-round draft pick. I don't know if I would say I'm offended that he's wearing Donald Driver's number 80. He probably doesn't even know who Donald Driver is. The greatest, arguably, in terms of just raw numbers, one of the greatest wide receivers in Packer history. There is something appropriate about a seventh-round pick wearing number 80, though. And Bo Melton stepped up, four catches, 44 yards. He also had the one rush for seven yards, so what, 40, 51, 52 total yards for a guy you had to elevate off the practice squad and getting that done on a Sunday afternoon? Tip your cap to him. We said Aaron Jones had the one catch as well. Overall, another plus day for the offense against a not terrible defense. 33 points. They piled up yards. They got the final drive, got points on the board when the game was tied. Got that kick in to give them the lead back and didn't think it would be as stressful as it was at the end. It turned out to be that way. 
The offense, though, you walk away from Sunday feeling really good about again as they continue to progress at the end of the year. Now, what else do we want to talk about? We'll talk about the defense. So we get all the offense stuff. Yeah, defense. I mean, I don't know. They did mix it up. They did try a few different calls. They tried to adjust a bit. More man coverage early. You got Jair back. More press coverage early. Still, though, they couldn't get pressure on Young consistently. And then when Young got his accuracy, like we said off the top, he missed a lot of open wide receivers early. Once he got his accuracy reined in, it was the same thing we've seen against Tampa, against New York. It was wide receivers running free, nobody around them for two to three yards. Easy pitch and catch. Bryce Young ended his day with his first ever 300-yard passing game. 23 of 36, 312, two touchdowns, no picks, QB rating of 110. If the Panthers would have won this game, there is no doubt in my mind that Bryce Young was going to be the third straight NFC Offensive Player of the Week against this Packer defense. He would have joined Tommy DeVito, Baker Mayfield, and then Bryce Young. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think Joe Barry's out of answers. Matt LaFleur is clearly out of answers. Matt LaFleur, again, <laughs> defending Joe Barry in the postgame presser when he was asked about giving up 30 points to a Panther team that barely averages 15 points a game. Barely. Barely getting two touchdowns a game. And a team that had not scored a touchdown in 25 consecutive possessions entering Sunday. They look like a juggernaut putting up 30 points. Bryce Young has his best game of his career. All sorts of receivers checking in. DJ Chark had a two-touchdown game. Old friend Adam Thielen, who was complaining about the officiating at the end of the game. Because, of course, six catches, 95 yards. Tommy Tremble. I mean, who are these guys? Four catches, 59 yards. Just tearing him up. You know what Matt LaFleur said at the end of the game? He handed him. He handed up again. He just keeps on saying hand up. He can't help himself. He blamed some of the defensive shortcomings at the end of Sunday's game on the fact that the defense was on the field too much because the offense couldn't get more sustained drives in that half. The spin zone with Matt LaFleur is almost commendable. The defense is shredded for a third straight week to what has been so far a bad quarterback, even though he's the number one overall draft pick from this April's draft. You're just getting torn apart again. The defense is an obvious tire fire. And still, he finds ways to excuse it, this time blaming the offense that scored 33 points and piled up almost 400 yards. They did have shorter drives. There were more three and outs for the Packer offense in that second half. You cannot blame fatigue, though, on what happened against this Panther team that has done nothing against anybody. They're the 31st or 32nd rated or 33rd rated offense out of 32 teams in the league in so many categories. Incredible. Just another chapter in what has been an awful run for this defense. I look back at some of these games they won when they beat the Chargers and when they beat the Lions and when they beat the Chiefs, even though the Chiefs have looked awful since that game. But how did they do that? How did they limit those teams to around 20 points? And what changed then after that Chiefs game that led to where we're at now, where guys like Tommy DeVito and Baker Mayfield and Bryce Young are just ripping your defense apart? I don't know what you do. They did push... It was supposed to be Matt LaFleur press conference day today. At the end of the game, if you watch the locker room video, he gave them Monday and Tuesday off. I'm assuming because of Christmas. He gave them Monday and Tuesday off because of the win. He was scheduled to talk to the media on Tuesday. They pushed that to Wednesday. That led to some guesswork on Packer Twitter that maybe because of the extra day, they didn't want to fire Joe Barry on Christmas Eve after a win. They didn't want to fire Joe Barry on Christmas Day in the Christmas spirit. 
And then maybe they give that extra Tuesday, and then today would be the day they would do it, and maybe that's why they pushed Matt LaFleur's press conference to Wednesday. That would give them time to make a change on Tuesday and then address it on Wednesday. I don't know. It just doesn't feel like anything is going to happen. Given his press conference again at the end of the game where he blamed the offense, it's hard to fathom a world where Matt LaFleur is actually going to pull the trigger on this with two games left. At this point, I know I made the case on the last podcast, you know, what would change? If you fired Joe Barry at this point, you are going to have to hire somebody on his staff. And if it's somebody on his staff, how different does it look? At this point, given now what the Panthers were able to do against this defense, you've got nothing to lose. There is literally nothing to lose. I understand it's Christmas week, and I understand Joe Barry, Matt LaFleur are friends, and you don't want to fire your friend on Christmas or the day after Christmas. I get all that. You've got to, you, you have nothing to lose by making that move. Even if the person you would put in that spot of Jerry Montgomery or whomever it would be, even if they're... If their philosophy and their play calling, even if it's 5% different than what Joe Barry's would be, in a situation now where you have to win your final two games, that could be the difference between a win and loss. These are going to be two evenly matched teams between the Packers and Vikings and the Packers and Bears. If the person you would promote on his staff even gives you 3% of a different perspective and different play calling and gets more aggressive in different situations, and it turns maybe what a touchdown drive into a field goal drive, and that saves you four points. I mean, it could be something as small as that. Given what we saw against New York and given what we saw against Tampa, which I will, I guess I'm willing to excuse more as Tampa continues to trend upwards and Baker continues to trend upwards. Given what we saw against New York, Tampa, and now the worst offense in football in Carolina, you don't stand to lose anything by making a switch. Even if it looks the same, who cares? That was If you keep him, it's going to look the same. If you fire him and there's a little chance that just a hint of a change, just a splash, a dip your toe in the water change, maybe that does make the difference between a win and a loss against Minnesota or a win and a loss against Chicago. I don't see what what he's waiting for. You're going to fire him at the end of the year now. That seems obvious, I would hope. Why not make a change? Maybe Maybe just doing that wakes up the defensive locker room and spurs them on a little bit, or maybe Jerry Montgomery or whoever it is would end up giving you a little different look in these final two games. It doesn't feel like it's going to happen, though. What else? A few other things I wanted to go over. Oh, shout out Anders Carlson. He missed that extra point. That was not on him. When you go back and look at the film, the snap was so bad, they never got the football turned. Of course, you don't want to ever see a missed extra point, and he's had many of those this year where they are on him. That was not on him. And then he steps up and hits a 53-yarder. That's his career long. And he hits, it was 36 yards. I get it. It's a chip shot for most kickers and a kick that you have to make 99% of the time in the NFL. That's the first time, though, that Carlson's been in that situation in a tie game late where you have to make it to give your team the lead. And he put it right between the uprights. There was no doubt. Thought he had a really nice recovery at the end of that game, especially given the missed extra point early. Defensively, I guess you do shout out Preston Smith of all the guys on that defense that underachieved again on Sunday. Preston looked pretty good at a sack and a half. Quay Walker got the other half of that half sack. Smith now has seven sacks on the year. He just continues to be steady. I don't know what his contract looks like for next year, and I don't know how many of these guys, especially on defense, you're going to want to bring back. He might be a guy, though. It looked a few years ago like he was going to be. That was it for him, that he was out of gas and getting to that point in his career at 31, 32 years old where he's not going to be as productive. He's had a good year. Seven sacks, sack and a half on Sunday. Packers get the 33-30 to win. Oh, let's talk real quick about Jair Alexander and that (laughs) that opening part of that game where he makes himself a captain. It's probably not a big deal. I don't know that I'm going to lose any sleep over what happened at the beginning of that game. 
Jair Alexander is from Carolina. He played for the first time in six weeks. He does have the shoulder sling on. I know during his absence, there's been a lot of conversation. We've even talked about it, about how injured is he? Is this a combo of him being injured and not liking Matt LaFleur? Or there seems to be some kind of miscommunication there at the very least. Maybe he doesn't love Joe Barry's defensive philosophy. It looks like he's pretty legitimately hurt with that shoulder, and that's been a two-year thing now. He had the sling on. He played okay. He had the one pass deflection on Sunday, but he was back for the first time in six weeks. He is from Carolina. He was not named a team captain, and he went out with the captains at the beginning of the game and basically made himself a team captain because he wanted to be out there for the coin flip in his home state. What they talked about at the end of the game was he almost made a massive mistake. In the NFL, it's not like in Madden. Remember in Madden, like I played on the mod, on the Game Boy mod. Remember in Madden where you would just click X for receiver, click B for kick, and then the opposite would happen? That's not how it works really in the NFL. You have the option to choose to receive or defer your choice to the second half. Jair, they won the toss, and Jair said, we want the defense on the field. Well, thankfully, the officials read through that because if they stuck to the letter of the law there, that would have meant the Packers kicked the ball away, and then Carolina would have had the choice in the second half to kick or receive. Clearly, they would receive. You almost gave away a possession trying to get out there because it's your home state and naming yourself a team captain. Is it that big of a deal at the end of the day? Maybe not. I just don't think Jair really respects Matt LaFleur, and if you're Matt LaFleur as a head coach... You can't have that happen. You just you can't have a guy that you didn't name a team captain be out there naming himself a team captain and almost giving away a possession in what ended up being a three-point game. Anyway, that was kind of a weird sub-story out of Sunday as well. Packers are now 7-8 and eight on the year. They are now 1-2 in this stretch of five games that we've been over and over and over on this podcast. When it started, this was going to be the five-game stretch to determine whether or not they'd make the playoffs. They lost against New York. They lost at home to Tampa. They eke out a win here. That does keep them alive. The playoff hopes go from 19% to 28%. We'll do a quick NFL recap here in a second. So it doesn't go up a ton. You go up about 10%. Still, though, the percentage, if they win their last two games, if they win those... They will need some help, but if they win their last two games, they look like they'll be about 94-95% chance to make the playoffs. Next up is Minnesota. That does stay a primetime game. Some good news injury-wise for the Vikings, although at this point, seeing what's happened with this Joe Barry defense, I don't know that it matters who the quarterback is, who the wide receivers are, who the tight ends are. It feels like that team is going to score around 30 or more points against this Packer defense. However, Jordan Addison, a productive wide receiver, and TJ Hawkinson, their stud tight end, and the Packers have had major issues defending tight ends going back 10 years, it feels like, or more. It doesn't look like either are going to play in Minnesota on Sunday night football. If the Packers win this game on Sunday night in Minnesota on New Year's Eve, their playoff chances go back above 50%. If they lose this game, it is all the way down to 1%. Essentially, this is a winner-go-home game against Minnesota. The Packers are, I think, opening... Let me get to the spreads here. What is the opening line? I think they're two-and-a-half-point dogs. They're three-point dogs. So, essentially, Minnesota has the home-field advantage spread at the time. Week 17. All right, we are, the Packers are, yeah, two-and-a-half-point favorites. Minnesota, two-and-a-half-point favorites. Packers are two-and-a-half-point dogs. It'll be a 7-20 kickoff. We'll be talking, of course, more about that on Friday's podcast heading into the weekend. It is one of those there where if you get a win, you're probably knocking on the door of a playoff 
number seven seed or six seed even, I guess, but probably seven seed if you beat Chicago final game of the year. If they lose this game against Minnesota, that basically extinguishes any hope of a playoff run. Uh, the Packers do what they need to do and get the win in Carolina on Sunday. Real quick run through the NFL. Where are we here? They We had all kinds of games. We had Saturday games, Sunday games, Monday games. Steelers blow out the Bengals. Bills didn't cover for us. We had an 0-4 gambling week. It was bound to happen. We were 17 units up. We had a bad week. We had the Bills trying to cover 12.5. They just got by the Chargers, 24-22. Remember, I was worried in that game about the interim boost. There's always an interim coach boost in the NFL and any sport, but especially the NFL, and the Chargers got that. Brandon Staley fired. They looked a lot better on Saturday night, or was that Sunday night? Saturday night at home against Buffalo. Buffalo gets the 24-22 win. Falcons beat the Colts 29-10. That was another pick we had. We had the Colts plus two and a half. That game did not help the Packers. Packers need the Falcons to lose because the win gets the Falcons to seven and eight. And of course, they have the head-to-head tiebreaker right now with Green Bay having beaten them early in the year. Another one that hurt was that Seahawks game. It looked like the Seahawks were going to lose to a, what what are they, five and nine Tennessee team. Tennessee had several late leads, couldn't hang on though. Seahawks score very late. They got the 20 to 17 win. They are eight and seven. That's a team that the Packers need to lose. Vikings lose at home to the Lions. I have to admit, I feel kind of good for Lions fans. It is their first division title in 30 years. It's their first ever NFC North title. I forget what year it changed from the NFC Central to the NFC North. The last time the Lions won a division title, it was the old black and blue. It was the NFC Central division. I've said many times on this podcast, I find it hard to not like Dan Campbell and his mentality. And the fact that they won, what, one game or two games in year one, and they were off to a one and eight start in year two before they stormed back at the end of the year. They beat the Packers, hold the Packers out of the playoffs at the end of last year, and they get to eight wins, finish the year on a major upward trajectory. And we've seen a lot in the NFL where a team like that that finishes a year the way the Lions finished 2022, then there are a lot of expectations. They got the primetime game against the defending Super Bowl champions in Kansas City to open the entire NFL schedule. They get a win there. They have followed through on that. They win in Minnesota. They are 11-4 on the year. They are knocking on the door of a two-seed. As a Packer fan, I didn't have to suffer through the 70s and 80s and how bad they were, but I remember that division title in 1995. We played a bunch of audio from it going into Steelers week when they got the Yancey Thigpen drop in the back of Lambeau Field and they got their first division title in 1995 in however many 20-plus years. I was excited as a kid. I especially remember my parents and people more their age that did suffer through the 70s and 80s and how bad those teams were. I remember the euphoria of the Packers getting that first division title. It's hard not to feel good for the Lions getting that right before Christmas, that first division title in three decades. And the Jets over the Commanders, 30-28. to That was kind of a wild game. Browns and Joe Flacco. Flacco's got them cooking. 36-22. to They beat Houston on the road. They're 10-5. and Buccaneers and Baker, they keep rolling. And now there's talk of contract extensions for Baker in Tampa. They beat down the Jaguars 30-12. to Trevor Lawrence looks broken. Bears get a win. They're kind of heading in the right direction. They are 6-9 and nine on the year, 27-16. It's a terrible Cardinal team they beat. You have to wonder, though, and I've got a lot of Bears fans in our building here somehow. Are they thinking you keep Justin Fields now? They, I believe they would have to give him a contract extension. He's played well enough in the last four or five weeks where I think as a Bear fan, you have to think, would Caleb Williams, if you get Caleb Williams, they're going to get the Panthers pick, and the Packers help them. That was the one thing. If the Packers would have lost to Carolina, that would have hurt the Bears getting the number one overall pick, even though the Patriots won too. they They're going to get the number one or number two pick. 
And for most of the year, it looked like it was going to be a no-brainer to draft a quarterback. But with the way Fields is playing, I don't know. Does Caleb Williams and doing an entire restructure on offense with either him or Drake May and starting over again, where does that get you? They're 6-9, and and they have a bunch of close losses, and Fields has been playing better. It's going to be very interesting to see what that team does in the draft with likely the number one overall pick, and then they're going to end up with probably the number eight overall pick or seven overall pick with their own pick. Dolphins and Cowboys was a good game. Cowboys just can't get that road win. Dolphins get it at the end with a field goal, 22-20. to Patriots do themselves no favors going for the number one overall pick. They beat the Broncos on a late field goal, 27-20, or 26-23. And then on Christmas Day, what is going on in Kansas City? Is this the Taylor Swift curse? I hate to say it. There's no other thing I can point to, though. Everything was going well for them, for the most part, and then Taylor hopped on the scene, and they haven't been able to win. They lose at home to the Raiders. The Raiders with Antonio Pierce, they're impressive to end the year. They We already lost our season win total bet on the Raiders. We had the under on six and a half. They get to seven and eight with that win in Kansas City. They had back-to-back turnovers turned into touchdowns, a fumble recovery for a touchdown. One play later, a pick six of Patrick Mahomes for a touchdown. 20-14 win. Eagles bounce back a little bit against the Giants, although the Giants come back late in that game. Mason Crosby for the Giants. How about it? He had he was called up from their practice squad. I know L.A. signed him to the practice squad. Then they cut him. Then the Giants picked him up. They promoted him right before that game. He made all three of his kicks. He hit a 53-yard field goal outdoor in Philly on Sunday. Hard not to feel good about that. Also made all of his extra points. Eagles hang on 33-25 over the Giants. And then another gambling loss for us last night. That Raven defense, San Francisco looked far and away like the most talented, best honed-in team heading into this week, and they picked Brock Purdy apart. Brock Purdy looked like he was lost out there. He had four interceptions before halftime, right? Or he got his fourth early in the third quarter. Lamar Jackson bolts into the lead in terms of the MVP race, and the Ravens make a statement in San Francisco against a healthy Niners team, 33-19. to Ravens 12-3, best record in the NFL right now. 49ers fall to 11-4 with that loss. Let's talk real quick about the Bucs before we get out of here. I know we said we we're keeping this to 30 or 35. What minute are we in now? 41? The Bucks get a win in New York at Madison Square Garden on Saturday. Then they have the Christmas Day game, the first of the five games that day, the featured NBA games on Christmas Day. Just didn't have it. Missed a lot of open shots late. And going against a Knicks team that is an over 500 team, that is a team that is top six or top five now in the Eastern Conference. The Bucks had beaten them three times heading into Christmas Day. It is tough to beat a team four times, especially a team that's a decent team. To go 4-0 against them and beat them back-to-back games at their place, you could just tell early New York came into that game saying, we are not going to lose another game to this team, especially on Christmas Day, especially a second straight loss to them on our home floor when we just lost to them 48 hours ago. They played more physical. It was a more intense brand of basketball from the Knicks. And the Bucs, when they woke up and got the offense going, they just missed a lot of open shots late. I'm not going to lose any sleep over this. The Bucs were winners of nine of their last ten heading into that Christmas Day game against the Knicks. I did make the mistake driving around afterwards late in the day on Christmas Day of listening to some national sports radio. And they were talking about the Christmas Day NBA games and talking about how Jalen Brunson had a big game and the Knicks make a statement against Giannis and Dame. Jalen overcame Giannis and Dame. That was the narrative they were spinning completely ignoring the fact the Bucks have blown their doors off three games leading into that Christmas Day matchup. They were treating that game like it was an NFL game, like it was the only game the Knicks and Bucks would play this year. Guys, look at the season series. 
Bucks almost hung 150 on them earlier in the month. They just beat them on Saturday. They were treating that game like it was a one-off, but that's to be expected when it involves a team from New York and it's on the Christmas Day featured NBA games. It just made me mad. One thing to like about that game on Christmas Day, Chris Middleton, his numbers keep going up, his minutes keep going up, and he in the last, actually since December, Middleton now is averaging over 30 minutes a game, which is the number one thing you want to see from him. And he is also averaging 17 points per game, 50% shooting from the field, 43% from beyond the arc, 93% at the free throw line. We're starting to see for the first time probably in two years, for the first time probably since the knee injury against Chicago in the playoffs two years ago, we are starting to see a little bit of 2021 Middleton. He's got his mid-range game going. The three-point shooting is coming around. His minutes are going up. He looks healthier. The defense isn't what it was two or three years ago. How could it be? He's 32 years old. He does not have that lateral quickness anymore. He's still a serviceable defender. I would say early in his career in that 2019, 2020, 2021 range, he was an underrated defender on this Bucks team. And actually, they would put him on some of the best wings on the opposing team in that run, in that 2018 to 2021-ish run. With all the injuries now in his age, he's just not going to be that guy anymore. But we are starting to see some of the offensive exploits that we saw during that run for Middleton, which is a very encouraging sight. With the loss, the Bucks are 22-8. and eight. The Celtics did get a win in L.A. in the Christmas Day game against the Lakers. That means the Bucks are one and a half games behind Boston for the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Again, you lose a game on the road, not a big deal. They were 9-1 and one in their previous 10 games heading into that Monday matchup in New York. Of course, Bill Simmons and the Ringer podcast after that loss against the Knicks in their podcast that came out today. They used the term sputtering in front of the Bucks, talking about how the Celtics looked on Christmas Day and the sputtering Bucks. The sputtering Bucks? You mean the Bucks that won, that were 9-1 and won in their last 10 games, the sputtering Bucks? The way that Bill Simmons, notorious Celtics fan, and that whole brand of media, the ringer, the way they talk about the Bucks since they got Dame Lillard is just borderline offensive. <laughs> if you're a Bucks fan, I mean, what are we? They have downplayed that trade, downplayed that signing, scoffed at what the Bucks are, even when they're winning. It's just, it's incredible. The sputtering Bucks, who are nine and two in their last eleven games and averaging almost 130 points a game. The sputtering Bucks. They will stay in the state of New York, and they will take on Brooklyn on Wednesday. That is a 6:30 tip time, and then they are on the road again on Friday. We'll talk more about that on Friday's podcast. Pretty tough matchup against a Cleveland team that was a playoff team last year. The Cavaliers are 17 and 13 entering play today. That'll be a tough road game on Friday. We'll talk more about that on Friday, though. We'll also make some picks, get you set for Packers and Vikings on New Year's Eve night. Have a happy, safe work week or maybe some downtime for you. We'll chat with you Friday. 